prayer this morning that the Lord would be our vision and that we'd be focused on Him. If you would, be taking your Bibles and turning with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at verses 41 through 71. John chapter 6, verses 41 through 71 this morning. Let me just open this in a word of prayer as we get started. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we open your word. God, I pray that you would be exalted in the way that we would respond to you. Lord, I, I just pray now as we look at your word and as we hear from you this morning, God, that you, would, that you would truly change us, Lord, that we'd be changed by your word, that our church would be changed by your word, that the community around us would be changed by the power that is in the gospel, the power that is in the name of the Son who saves us. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as you know, or as you may not know, we are going through the Gospel of John. Uh, John's Gospel uh, has one purpose, one purpose alone. John's Gospel's only purpose, he tells us at the end, he says, hey, I could have wrote down a bunch of other stuff, but the reason I wrote down what I wrote down is so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. And so that's why we're studying this letter, or this Gospel, is so that we could know who Jesus is, so that we could believe that He is the Savior and that we could believe that He is the Son of God and that we could have life in His name. So what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Savior? What does it mean to believe that He's the Son of God? And what does it mean to have this life that He offers us? In a couple of weeks or months maybe, we're going to look where He talks about giving us abundant life, life more abundantly. And so as we walk through this Gospel, it's all about Jesus. You're going to hear a lot about Jesus. Hopefully you hear a lot about Jesus every time we, we're together. But we're, we're going to continue opening up His Word and finding out more of what it means to believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, and what it means to have life in His name. And this morning, we're going to, when we begin in verse 41, we're in, a, we're in a part of Scripture that is offensive. It's a tough pill to swallow. I, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I couldn't help but think about Zoe. I'm, I'm father of the year, by the way. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I'm super sensitive. I'm always on top of my game, right? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I took Zoe to the doctor because, I'm, like I said, I'm father of the year. That's what daddy does, right? Crystal went to work. We thought she had an ear infection. It's going to take her to the clinic real quick, take her on to school. Well, we get there. And uh, the, the doctor comes in and she says, Hey, um, one of her tonsils is about the size of Texas. Pretty sure it's not ear infection. Pretty sure it's strep throat. So I was like, No, it's not strep throat. She has big tonsils. It runs in the family. And then she showed me and it was like this big. I was like, Oh, she probably does have strep throat. But I'll go ahead and test her anyway. Turns out she has strep throat. So to, to get rid of it, amoxicillin, right? Antibiotics. So any good parent would know that if your child's going to be taking antibiotics to ask for liquid... I'm not one of those parents. My daughter gets pill form amoxicillin. She's eight. I'm like, it's time to grow up, kid. I don't know what to tell you. And so we get home. I get her some yogurt, break that dude in half, and she chews up amoxicillin and swallows it. She's more of a man than I am. I mean, she eats this amoxicillin for like, what, five days until she finally figured out she could swallow it if she ate it with ice cream. So she finally learned how to swallow that pill. I was like, listen, you got to. If you want to get better, you got to. I don't know what to tell you. This is what you got to do. Grow up, you know, take the pill, swallow it. And she did because she's amazing in spite of my lack of parenting skills. And thankfully, she has a good mama. But anyway, so, so she takes this pill and she swallows it because she knows that the, the benefits of it far outweigh the bad taste. There's some things we're going to read this morning that are going to be offensive. They're going to be 
hard to swallow. And it'll be hard for you to accept. Hopefully you're a little offended. That's kind of the purpose of this passage. Not the purpose of my sermon. Purpose, Jesus wants to offend you, not me. He, he wants to tell you the truth about who he is and about who you are. If you remember back to last week, Brother Jonathan, he, he shared with us that Jesus had fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. How he had fed all these people and then uh, he, uh, the disciples had went on before him and then Jesus walks across the, the, the sea uh, to get to the other side. And these people, they're so impressed by what he did that they walk all the way around the lake until they find him and they find him again. And Jesus looks at them and he says, y'all didn't come here because you saw the signs or because you're believing on me. He says, y'all came because you got full bellies. You're interested in more bread, not interested in me. He says, don't waste your life on things that don't fully satisfy. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter and on things that don't uh, uh, last forever. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And so the Jews there, they pick up on this. Now, when he says, I'm the bread that came from heaven, if you don't know Jewish history, there was a time when the Jews were, not to go too far, y'all stay with me, stay with me. I'm, there, there was a time when the Jews were slaves in Egypt. And God set them free. And he said, I'm taking you to the promised land. Y'all are going to the promised land. They didn't believe right away, so it took them 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Well, while they're wandering around in the wilderness, they got hungry. Y'all been on a road trip, you know what it's like. You feel like you've been wandering around in the wilderness 40 years, you get hungry. When are we going to stop to eat? That's the only thing that matters, right? And so people begin to grumble. They begin to complain. And so they're grumbling, we don't have anything to eat. So God sends bread from heaven for them to eat. They call it manna. The word manna means what is it? Like They're like, what is this? It tastes like honey cakes. It's not too bad, but... And then after a little bit, they got tired of it. They got tired of eating the same thing every day. So you know what they did? They grumbled. They complained about the bread from heaven. Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. So let's look at verse 41 and see, first off, that Jesus is offensive because of what he says. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So first off, we see here that Jesus' word is offensive. What Jesus says is offensive. Jesus is offensive because of what he says. If you're taking notes, first point here, Jesus is offensive. Point 1A, Jesus is offensive because of his word. And by the way, they grumbled because he said, I'm the, the bread that came from heaven, just like the previous people had grumbled about the bread from heaven. And while we're on topic, sort of a, a little tangent, can I just say that we may grumble a little too much? Like, God's people just like to grumble. It's like something we don't ever get over. Like, bread in the desert, we're grumbling. Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven, we're grumbling. Right? I mean, maybe you should tell your neighbor, you grumble too much. Like, you complain to him. No, don't do it. That, that you may get in trouble. You may get slapped. I don't know. Depends on who you're sitting next to. But we do, right? I mean, we complain about everything. We complain when it's hot. We complain when it's cold. We complain when it's light. We complain when it's dark. We complain when it's loud. We complain when it's soft. I mean, we complain about everything. The heart that is complaining and grumbling is a heart that is not satisfied in the Lord. It's a heart that is not hungering after Christ. And that's what we see about these people. No matter what Jesus says, no matter what Jesus does, they're mad. They're upset. They just like to complain. We complain way too much. Myself included. I'm looking at myself. 
If I could, I would look at myself and say, you complain too much. But, but we complain too much. And so these people are complaining. They are offended by what Jesus says. They are also offended by what he claims. His claims are offended. Look at verse 42. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're, they're like, tell me this. Isn't this Joseph's boy? Don't we know his mom and daddy? Didn't he grow up down the street from us? What's he mean claiming to be from heaven? Remember, he's claiming to be God. They watched Jesus grow up. They watched him on his tricycle. I'm just kidding. They didn't have tricycles. But if they did, they would have watched him on one. They watched Jesus grow up and they say, how can you claim to be God? What Jesus claims, guys, is offensive. He's claiming to be the very God of the universe. But he's got flesh on. He's a man staring back at them. They can look at him and say, don't we know who his dad is? Don't we know who his mother is? How can he say he came down from heaven? How does he claim to be better than we are? How does he claim to be elevated than we are? Look at verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Told you you shouldn't grumble. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Then verse 46, Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, among themselves, among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So you need to understand what he's claiming here. He's claiming that as God, he is more important than anything else in the world. He's claiming he has the power within himself to give them eternal life. He is claiming that he is more important than anything and anyone they know. I want you to think about it. He's saying if you want life and not death, you've got to have him. You've got to take part in him. You've got to believe in him. He, he is saying here that he is the only option for life. And guys, that claim is offensive. That's offensive to them. It's offensive in our world, isn't it? For Jesus to claim absolute, exclusive uh, rights to salvation, that he is the only way to the Father. I mean, it, it, I, I love what C.S. Lewis what, said about him. He said, you know, he doesn't really leave you an option. Either he's crazy, a liar, or he's actually God. Like there's no third, there's no fourth option, I guess. But, but either he's a liar and he's crazy, or he actually is God. Like he, he, he draws a line here. And that's what we're going to see as we, we look through this. Is in, in John's Gospel, we're coming to this end of this first major section of John's Gospel where we kind of see a climax of decision. Either you're going to choose Christ or you're going to walk away from him. Either you're going to actually buy in and believe that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, or you're going to walk away mad. And, and so what he is saying here, guys, 
is that He is the bread of heaven. He is the bread of life. And if you want life, you want satisfaction, you want peace, you want anything good, the only way you're going to get it is through Him. And so His claim is one of exclusive uh, meaningfulness, really. He's saying that your relationship to me is more important than any other relationship you have. Your relationship to Christ is more important than any other relationship you have. So his claim is that he is worth anything and everything, that he is more important than the the food that you eat on a daily basis, that he is more important than the most basic form of sustenance this world has to offer. And so he offends by what he says. He offends by what he claims. Thirdly, he offends by what he requires. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And so his word offends, his claim offends, and now we see his requirements Uh, offend. He is saying here, you remember those people back in the wilderness that ate all that manna? Where are they? They're dead. Because that manna did not sustain them forever and ever. He's saying, I am better than that manna. I am worth everything in your life. Uh, So, I mean, think about it. How many times have you said or thought, man, I ate too much on Thanksgiving? Like, after Thanksgiving meal, how many of you thought, I'd never have to eat again? I am finished eating for my life. Then come dinner, you're breaking it out, right? Oh, that turkey, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's why my pants don't fit anymore. But I'm like, man, that turkey sure does sound good again. That ham sure does sound good again. That pie sure does sound good again. We are hungry again. It doesn't matter what you eat, you're going to be hungry again. doesn't matter how much of it you eat, you're going to be hungry again. We spend all of this time eating and we're still going to be hungry. Jesus is saying that when you find real satisfaction, you find it in Him and Him alone. Anywhere else you look to fill your appetite is not going to satisfy you. He is saying when you spend your life and you spend all your time seeking after the things of this world, they won't satisfy you, whether it's food or whatever. I mean, I want you to think about this. So Jesus, remember, these people follow Jesus around the lake, around the sea, to, to get with Him again because He fed... All these people who were poor and who, I mean, most of the time, like, they worked all day for a piece of bread. And then he feeds them, gives them a piece of bread, and they follow him around, and he says, what are y'all doing here? You're here just because, because you got fed, just because you got a piece of bread. What would he say to us? He's saying, yeah, your, your minds are on the wrong thing. You're here just because your, your belly got full. What would he say to us? What is our focus? I mean, this, this may be poor timing, but when we live in a world where our favorite pastime is buying stuff and chasing after stuff, I know none of y'all went Black Friday shopping like my wife did, but I won't call her out or anything, but I'm not saying Black Friday is the, the devil, 
But, but I mean, guys, I mean, when do we take a step back and say our, our priorities are all out of whack? We used to take at least one day off a year to be thankful for what we have. Now we can't wait till the next day so we can go buy more junk we don't need. Because it's on sale, we've got to buy it. My favorite phrase is, yeah, but how much would we save if we didn't buy it? <laughs> it's not Crystal's favorite phrase, but anyway. But, but we, we live in a world that we are so covered up with want and desire of stuff that will never satisfy. Jesus looks at these people who, if they work all day, they get enough to eat for that day and are excited about having enough to eat for the next day. And he says, y'all's mind's all out of whack. What in the world would he say to us when our focus and our attention is not on the one who offers eternal life, the one who offers true food and true drink, but on the junk of this world when we have everything you could possibly imagine? Do you realize how wealthy we really are as a nation? How much excess we actually have? I mean, how many leftovers were thrown out after Thanksgiving? How much waste we actually... I do not want this to come across as me being on a high horse or anything like that. I eat just as much waste, just as much... I'm just as much... I have just as much a problem as anybody else. But, but I just wonder if, if we're always thirsty for the things of this world, when are we going to stop and start chasing after the one thing that matters? Like, these people are, are actually coming back to Jesus for more bread, and he's like, you're, you're, you're at the wrong place his word here his claim here offends because what he is saying is that there that you are looking for the wrong things that you must put your focus on him guys that there's always going to be like if you're looking for this stuff in this world there's always going to be one more dollar to get there's always going to be one more drink to have there's always going to be one more deal to, deer to kill one more ball game to watch one more ball game to play one more book I put book in there, and I was like, oh, wait, nobody reads anymore. But, but anyway, some of y'all probably do. But anyway, one more TV show or movie or cake or party or girl or guy, there's always going to be one more. And none of that stuff will ever satisfy. After you get done with it, you're going to be hungry again every single time. So stop wasting your life chasing after the junk that's going to be gone tomorrow anyway. And chase after the one who's going to last forever. Chase, spend your life chasing after Jesus. He is saying he's the only hope and the only source of true satisfaction. He's saying walk away from all that other stuff and chase after him. That's sort of offensive. In fact, it's really offensive if you really like your stuff, isn't it? I mean, it makes us all a little uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about it. I feel like all you are judging me now. But the truth is, we, we, we struggle with this because we don't see Jesus as first and foremost. We grumble because we don't see Jesus as first and foremost. He's shown us exactly, and so what John does here is he begins to show us just exactly how much offense he has given to these people. He's saying, what you people want is not what you need. What you need is him. What you need is Jesus. Jesus has a funny way of doing uh, evangelism, by the way, guys. And so what we need to understand about the, this particular part of John's gospel is that uh, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Like there are more people following him now than will ever follow him in his ministry until after he dies and is resurrected and rises again. Like this is sort of the, the pinnacle of his popularity. I just he, he's, What John's doing is he's pointing out that Jesus is at the point and what he does is he turns around and he offends everyone. 
Like he gives the most offensive sermon ever. He's talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. Like who uses that as an illustration? Like he's so popular. He's more popular than the Beatles at this point, right? Just to flip that back around. Like he, he is truly popular. He's more popular than, than anything else going on. He's so popular. In fact, we, we saw uh, before that they tried to come and make him king by force because they want him to rule them because they like all the stuff that he's giving them. But then he turns around and he says, no, you don't understand. As Jonathan pointed out last week, I didn't come to give bread, I came to be bread. I didn't come to just give you a bunch of stuff, I came to be your source of joy and satisfaction. In fact, Jesus claims here uh, that he is all that we need uh, for joy and happiness and satisfaction in this life period. Like, like he, he is saying in this passage that he is literally everything that we need. Not part of what we need, but everything. And we need to walk away from everything. So his claim this morning, guys, his claim on your life, his requirement on your life is to put him first. I mean, he's claiming absolute authority. He's claiming absolute truth and absolute importance. He is making sure that you do not miss the, the fact that he reigns supreme, that he absolutely is in control. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this offensive statement that Jesus is saying of, I am absolutely most important? Look at verse 60. <coughs> when many of his disciples heard it, what Jesus has been saying, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Or who can obey it? Who can follow it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So he knows that they're upset with him. So what does he say? He says, do you take offense at this? Verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you see me go to the cross? He's saying to them, what if you see him go to the cross and raise up in the, and is raised up in heaven? What are you going to do then? He says in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. He calls them out. Some of y'all don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And so the result of Jesus being offensive is what? People don't like him. Can I just be honest with you? When you speak the truth and you don't compromise on the truth, people ain't going to like it. They just ain't. I like using the word ain't every now and then. I feel free in Arkansas. That was always a restriction in North Carolina. Everybody made fun of me for it. So now I'm back home. It ain't going to be good. Like people ain't going to like it. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. But, but anyway, so, so people walk away from him. They walk away from him. We're going to see in a minute in droves. Why? Because he's drawing a line in the sand. Guys, did you know when you draw a line in the sand, there are going to be people on the other side of it. And those people on the other side of it aren't going to like your line. Kind of goes against everything our culture teaches, doesn't it? That there's absolutely truth. And there's absolutely something you can base your life on. Look at verses 65 and 66. He said, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So those who were walking with him to get what he handed out and get what he offered, when things get tough, when he says something that offends them, they walk away. They turn away and they, they leave him not to walk with him anymore. They're like, I'm out. 
Like, I, don't, I don't like all this stuff. He, he's talking about eating his flesh. I'm out. Like, he claims to have absolute control over my life. I'm out. I don't want any of this. I got too much to do with my life. This was too hard of a pill for them to swallow. They, and Jesus didn't offer any yogurt or ice cream to go with it. They just couldn't handle it. But he doesn't back up. He doesn't apologize. He knows this is going to upset them. He knew within himself what they were thinking. But he just doubles down on the truth, guys. The same thing that we ought to do. Doesn't mean we'd be offensive to be offensive. But the gospel's going to offend anyway when you would claim to know the truth. So look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I, I mean, th think about what he's saying here. Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to leave me as well? I mean, you would think that if you just lost a bunch of followers and you're trying to build a, a following, like if your goal is to have more people around you, it seems like you would invest in the people who are most committed to you. So remember who the twelve are. They're the people Jesus handpicked out of the disciples. They're the twelve apostles. They're the inner circle. And he looks at them and he doesn't say, oh guys, please stay. Please, pretty please. I take back everything I said. He says, y'all out too? Y'all heading? No. No, they're not going to go anywhere. And we find out why. Verse 68. Verse 68 is, um, y'all ever have favorite verses in the Bible? Verse 68 is one of my favorite verses. I have several, but this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Peter finally gets it right. you got to love it when he just hammers something home. But verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, those who are his disciples get it. They get our second point this morning, which is Jesus is necessary. He may be offensive, but he's necessary. He's the only option there is. Peter says, where else are we going to go? Like, there's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Back, back in the day, I worked at a, a, a pawn shop here in town. People were surprised to learn that the other night. But yeah, I used to work at this pawn shop in town. We had a gunsmith in there. His name uh, was Tom. Well, uh, just to give you a, an idea of his age, there was a guy who came in who was a bit older, and he said, is Tom still here? I was like, yeah. He's like, man, he was old when I was young. Like, I mean, that's how long Tom had been around and been doing gunsmithing. I, I love the man. He saved my job probably a couple of times. Sometimes I would be stuck behind the, the gun counter where, where the handguns are, supposed to be cleaning. I, I understand when my son gets the, the destructive nature that he has. I was like 18, 19. I was like, huh, I wonder how this bad boy comes apart. So I'm standing there at the gun counter, you know, taking handguns apart. And then springs sometimes go where they're not supposed to go. And so I'm left sitting there holding a 2,000 piece of part, pile of parts, like $2,000 piece of parts. I'm like, uh, hey, Tom. <laughs> and Tom would help me put it back together before I got in trouble. So I, I like Tom, but not everybody did. See, customer service was not Tom's specialty. You ever been to Chick-fil-A and it is, is my pleasure? Tom didn't know how to say that. It was, if I feel like it. I remember watching these guys would come in. He'd have their gun for like a year or so. And they'd be like, hey, dude, when you go and get my gun back to me? And he'd be like, here you go. <laughs> and they'd, they'd stand there and hold it like, uh, but it's not done. He's like, I don't know, take it somewhere else. They're like, there's nowhere else to go. Like there was no other gunsmiths within driving distance that could do what Tom did. I mean, he just made these beautiful uh, guns and he, he just did amazing work and he knew what he was doing and they would just stand there and they would take the verbal abuse and then they would take the, he would take the gun back and put it back on the counter and he may get to it next year, he may not. Who knows? 
I was telling Crystal, I seen him slap a dude one time just because of the way he came in. Like, I mean, that's who Tom was, but you weren't going anywhere else. He was the only one who had what you, could, what you needed. Jesus is a little nicer than he was, but the same truth remains. Peter says, where else are we going to go? You're the only show in town, sort of like resort, right? I mean, you can be mad at resort all you want to be, but if you want cable internet, you're going to sit on the phone for an hour. It's just going to happen. Where else are you going to go? You're going to have to move. Well, the same thing is true of Jesus. If you want life, He's where you got to go. There are no other options. Peter's like, Jesus, man, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the key to true satisfaction. You are the only one we can find our hope in. And the same thing is true for us, guys. You may not like the idea that Jesus claims absolute control over your life. You may not like the idea that He claims absolute truth and that He claims He's absolutely the only way to the Father. But where else are you going to go? You're going to go to the self-help books and learn how to make a million bucks? Go ahead. You're still going to die. You're going to go and, and live however you want to live and do as much as you want to do and have as much fun as you want to have? Go ahead. You'll have a lot of fun. You're still going to die. You want to go and live self-righteous and be righteous on your own without Christ and live a perfect life or as perfect as you can be and be the best person you know? Go ahead. You won't have any fun and you're still going to die. Like there's no other options. Either Jesus or death. That's it. Peter's like, what do you mean where else are we going? What else what can we do? We believe that you... Look at, look at what he says here. He says uh, in... Uh, Sorry, right here when he replies to him in verse 69 or in verse 70, he says here at the end of verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says we believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, basically, is what Peter's saying here. He has given his testimony and saying, I finally get it. I believe you are my only hope. I believe that you are my only option. And so, so this morning, guys, I, I just want to encourage you if you haven't trusted on Him, where else are you going to go? Nobody else has anything to offer you. But as amazing as Peter's testimony is, look at verse 70. Here's something that we see all the way through John's Gospel. Remember, the very beginning John's Gospel, he talks about the fact uh, that, that there's light and there's dark. The, Jesus is the light of the world and the light is shown in to the world and the darkness is not comprehended or overcome it. Like there's light and dark. And so you see this dichotomy all the way through uh, John's Gospel where you see light and dark, the, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of dark at, at odds and fighting. And here really is where we begin to see from this point on like the Jews are trying to kill Jesus. So from here, the gloves are off. It's all out war. And Judas introduces that. So you have the greatest testimony but then you also have this most terrible of examples. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. One of the inner twelve. I mean, one of the most trusted followers and friends of Jesus is a devil. John, John wants us to see the, the depth of betrayal here. Verse 71, He spoke of Judas, the son of Iscariot, where he... One of the twelve was going to betray him. There's a warning here. There's a couple of different types of fake Christians that we see in this passage. The first one are the ones who leave when they're offended. We all know that type. You know, some, some people say the best way to get people 
to stop coming to your churches, baptize them, and have them join, right? And you never see them again because they get to know everybody. Like, I'm out. People offend me. I'm done. You know, and so sometimes that, that's the case. People get easily offended and then they leave. And, and we see that. We see these people who don't like what Jesus has to say. So he's out. They're out. But then we see the other type. So some folks believe that if they just stick close enough, the benefits will outweigh the offense. Because the truth is, is, if you don't believe on Christ, you don't believe He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world, every time you hear the gospel, it's going to be offensive. Like the, the, the difference between the one who is offended by the gospel and the one who loves and hears what he, what he hears, and Peter says you have the, the words of eternal life, is belief. Judas doesn't believe, so he's offended at Jesus. He is walking around with these people receiving the benefits. So John's going to tell us later on that he is robbing them, like he's stealing from the church the whole time. He's willing to put up with the offense because the benefits outweigh uh, the offense. See, Judas is a a warning to us, guys, because sometimes I think we believe that simple proximity, being close to the people of God, being close to other Christians is good enough, being counted among their number. Judas looked as much like a believer as any of them. He probably looked better some days. As he walked with them, you couldn't tell him apart from anybody else. Just looking at him, you couldn't tell. Sort of like people in exercise clothes nowadays, right? You can't ever tell if they're actually exercising or not. Get some of the nerves. I tell Crystal all the time, well, you wear an exercise. Anyway, but, but anyway, side note. Serious time, right? Judas walks with Jesus all the way almost to the cross. And he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, we want to try and say, well, it's because Jesus didn't do what he wanted him to do. He was a rebel and all that stuff. But we know that he was a thief. And we know he got paid. Personally, I think Judas was just greedy. Greedy for the things of this world. See, his problem was a heart problem, guys. His problem was is he never let go of the things of this world. He never actually submitted to the requirements that Christ has for us. To let go of the things of this world and grab onto him. What about you? What is your priorities this morning? you were to look back over your life, would you say that your priority is Christ? Would you say that you give him your time, your, your talents, and your resources? Or would you say that you think about you? Would you say that you think about you mostly? Is, that, do you really have a hunger for him? Like, is he really the basic element of your life, the basic area where you find satisfaction and joy? Or do you look for joy in other places? Those other places are always going to come up short. They're never going to fully satisfy. Quit chasing after the stuff that doesn't matter and chase after the one who does. Turn your life over to him. If you have never believed on him, believe on him this morning. If you have, recommit yourself to putting him first. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your grace this morning. God, I thank you that in spite of us, God, you offer us salvation. God, in spite of us, you offer us a way to be saved. Lord, I pray that that you would just make us aware of the gospel, make us aware of the good news that we have, and that we would come to you, Lord Jesus, that we would trust on you, that we would believe on you so that we could have life forever. God, if there's any here who don't know you, I pray that they would come to know you. And those that do know you, Lord, I pray that you would just reaffirm them in their knowledge of you and reaffirm them in their commitment to you. 
Lord, we as your people want to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us? And as you stand, we're going to sing.